This is the Future of Digital Art podcast, brought to you by Sachi Art. This show is dedicated to empowering emerging artists by helping them better understand how they can use technology to expand their art offerings. In each episode, we'll interview successful NFT artists, collectors, and digital art influencers. They'll share insights on how the art world is changing, how they got involved in digital art, art NFTs, the creator economy, and actionable advice that you can use to grow your portfolio and win at the future of digital art. I'm your host, Capucin Jenkins, curator of digital art and NFTs at Saatchi Art. Now let's dive right into the show we have planned for you today. Hey everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Digital Art podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Raina Meller, Director of Pace Gallery. Thanks for chatting with me today. Want to introduce yourself to our audience? Yes, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on the podcast and discussing the future of digital art. My name is Raina Mailer, and I'm a director at Pace Gallery, where I've worked for the past decade, mainly focused on interdisciplinary art collectives. And I've produced, you know, multi-sensory exhibitions, as well as, you know, managed different artists throughout my career. I'm also a independent curator and writer. I've been published in Sculpture Magazine and have curated analog and digital art shows, and most recently an NFT show. Thanks so much for having me today. Awesome. Thank you, Raina. We're super excited to have you. Why don't you tell us a little more about your background and the work that you do specifically? Yeah, so I'd like to start out by actually talking about my trajectory at Pace Gallery, Mm -hmm. because I think I have carved out a really unique position for myself. Mm-hmm. I started out actually as a registrar, working with you know many senior registrars and doing condition reports and you know loan agreements mm-hmm. and you know all of the registrarial kind of admin work like cataloging mm-hmm. and database entry. And that really it sounds kind of boring, but it's like a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, caring for the artworks you know, deciding what needs conservation Mm -hmm. or how something should be framed. And it's a really like intimate job in the sense that most people don't get to like hold an artwork Mm -hmm. or, you know, look at the back of it and see the artist's signature Mm -hmm. or like, you know, words they might have written on about, like on it, the words they may have written on the back of it. Mm -hmm. And I've started working with interdisciplinary art collectives and kind of focused on that. And I was going to a lot of time-based media conferences and meeting with other time-based media like registrars and conservators. And I was following in the footsteps of what SF MoMA was doing or even Guggenheim, where Mm -hmm. they had completely separated out time-based media and performance-based art from their contemporary painting and sculpture program. Mm -hmm. Because the same kind of protocols that you would do for, you know, say, unique one-of-a-kind paintings that are worth $10 million don't necessarily need to be taken, you know, when you're looking at like a single-channel, replaceable, like screen-based work. Mm -hmm. So I eventually became director of media arts and I worked with both the like exhibitions and logistics team on how do you install it? What's the best way to display it? You know, what are the parameters and variability of these iterative, you know, installations. Mm -hmm. 
But I also worked really closely with the sales team on how do you sell this stuff? Mm -hmm. How do you make it digestible to clients? There's warranties. You know, technology is super temperamental. It works when it wants to. And (laughs) for no reason at all, it turns off, you know. So it's just, you know, different steps. And so anyways, it was really great to be able to work with these two different sides of it, right? Like dealers who are selling the art objects, people who are living with these like amazing digital art pieces in their homes Mm -hmm. and how do they take care of it? And so I also went on to help this company called Super Blue, which Mark Glimsher, who's CEO of Pace Gallery, he was part of the founding team of Super Blue, which is this large-scale experiential art center that sells tickets. And there's a brick-and-mortar location in Miami. Mm-hmm. And for that inaugural show, there's Team Lab, there's James Trell, and S. Devlin. And so I also worked with that team to get it up and running, mm-hmm. hire a team of experts to staff it and operate it. And then I came back to Pace Gallery full time as a director. So really focusing on being an artist liaison and doing sales and working on a lot of our interdisciplinary art shows. Mm -hmm. So my day to day is often, you know, checking in with artists about new artworks that they are producing. Mm -hmm. You know, what is that timeline? What does it cost for the pieces that are scalable? You know, what are the minimum and maximum requirements? thinking about install timelines, Mm -hmm. and then also working with other artists, managers, sales staff on where these artworks could fit in, whether they're loaned to museums or institutions, Mm -hmm. or for an upcoming show, you know, working on floor plans, layouts, and pricing. And I'm also really excited to be part of Pace Verso, Mm -hmm. which is Pace Gallery's Web3 hub. And they've been doing NFT projects. So I also work closely with that team on schedule, project managing, mm-hmm. some of these NFT projects. And some of the artists, it's their their first time doing it. So it's a really uh, interesting experience. What a rich background <laughs> and, and work day. I love it. So how would you describe digital art today? Wow. So digital art today, I think it's advancing really quickly. Mm -hmm. I think there's new software programs coming out all the time. I think artists are getting more literate with code. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just accelerating so quickly from hardware to software updates. And I personally feel that blockchain technology and NFTs are kind of introducing a new form of digital art Mm -hmm. and really allowing it to be accessible in the sense of like, not just like you can see it through your web browser, but on your TV. And I also think with the metaverse and how that's evolving, it's really changing. And I think people are becoming more... It feels like we're in a renaissance, right? Like Mm -hmm. kind of like we haven't seen it in a while, but it feels like there's this resurgence of legitimacy in digital art that kind of was taking a backseat to, I would say, like figurative painting and for a while or like identity-based politics works. Mm -hmm. But it does feel like there's, uh, I would say, a resurgence and also the pace of it just feels like it's advancing so rapidly. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, I am definitely aligned with that. And (laughs) every day feels as if you're learning something new and that everyone's in on this new technology and you're just learning about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. New phrase or lingo. (laughs) Yeah. So how would you describe your experience going from, as you mentioned before, you started off sort of doing more admin, registrar kind of work, like very material, physical work experience with art as objects. How has that transitioned from that to digital art and curating digital art? Yeah, I think having an understanding of how something is built or made or is tangible mm-hmm. makes it more easy to understand it in a like conceptual way or a digital way. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think that that past and how to handle and think about art or art objects or physical art has informed the way I conceive of digital art and digital shows. Mm-hmm. And even though NFTs, I mean, we're seeing more IRL shows of them, mm-hmm. but you know, even thinking about it in your web browser, like how does that NFT look next to the other one? And then when you get to a physical space, like how would it look on a screen versus a projector? Mm-hmm. So all of those different materials have informed the way I think about how to curate a show, but also how to work with an artist who wants to scale up or, you know, change a material. It feels really nice to be able to offer them some other ways of thinking about it or other options or other possibilities to help, you know, actualize their artistic vision. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So on that note, what are the biggest challenges you felt that you faced in creating or really collecting and curating digital art? I think the biggest challenges of collecting digital art as well as curating it is the fact that technology and equipment changes so rapidly and things become out of date so fast. Like even within six months, there's a new screen model Mm -hmm. or once a year, there's a new OS for your Mac or Windows. And I think it's hard for artists and their studios to keep up with the latest software that's up to date. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, you know, like Unreal 5 just came out. And the way you navigate it within the program is different and there's different tools. Mm -hmm. And so you really have to stay up to date. And I think that's difficult for artists to handle because if, let's say you sell one of their artworks Mm -hmm. and six months later, the client wants to install it, but there's been a new OS. There could be a delay in that, you know, delivery of the product that you couldn't even foresee. Mm -hmm. I think for exhibitions, it's also tricky if you have the right hardware to match the specs of the software. And, you know, to have a really like high fidelity projection experience, like Mm -hmm. that costs a lot of money if you want something large scale. Mm -hmm. So I think costs can be prohibitive for curating. Mm -hmm. And I think collecting, you want to be upfront with the client and like what the expectations are and how do you preserve it? And, you know, most collectors that own something, they want to understand how to take care of it. And I like hate this analogy, but I'm going to say it. Like if you own a car, you have to get maintenance and replace (laughs) parts. And I kind of hate comparing. Well, they're both investments. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like you want to know, you have to be prepared to replace a part or update it. And, you know, finding that balance between 
making sure the artist or the gallery understands the amount of support Mm -hmm. that they need to give to collectors, but also that collectors know how to easily solve some of their problems. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just like one anecdotal story is that, (laughs) I mean, this happened many a times, but, you know, I would get frantic calls from clients that, you know, like we're having like people over a dinner party or something. Mm-hmm. It's always happened a lot around the holidays. And they're like, oh my God, my artwork's not working. Mm-hmm. Like the screen is black. And, you know, I did, oh, did you try turning your computer off and on? And like that, you know, <laughs> that would solve it most of the time. But, <laughs> and it's like, and I, I totally understand because I've, you know, it's been like an hour before a show opens. I'm like, why is this projector oh, off? Totally. And like, is it the cable? Is it the light bulb? Anyways, so it's very stressful. And, you know, we want to empower our clients to know what to do in those moments mm-hmm. and to have tried turning it off and on in this order or replacing the cable. You know, so they've done all these troubleshooting mm-hmm. attempts before calling us. But it's hard to, I think, find that balance of like not overwhelming the collector but informing them as well. No, totally. Part of curation in general is there's an educational component, but I think with digital art and working with art technologists, you have to become an educational technologist, if that makes sense, like a a teacher of technology. And especially if you came at it from an art perspective or more art historical like viewpoint, you don't quite anticipate that. (laughs) But, But it like definitely does kind of, you start to see the technology in the same way that, you know, any other curator of physical art would see acrylic on canvas or any other Mm -hmm. kind of like medium or materials that you're using. After a while, it just kind of starts to feel like that. The more you talk to artists and, you know, have studio visits and stuff like that. So, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. And the more like AV integrators or creative technologists that I work with, the more that I learn. And they're so essential, I think, to being part of like the digital art production Mm -hmm. and display conversations because they're like artists in their own right. And they are so good at creative problem solving. And I always say like, it takes a village to Mm -hmm. put on a digital art show because you need so many different expertise like AV and IT and just this really diverse, you know, knowledge in order to actualize these really complex and ambitious shows. Mm -hmm. And I will say most recently, I've been hearing from some art historians that they're studying computer science and art history. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I I think that's so fascinating and so smart if you want to be in the field of art and tech. And I think like 10 years ago, you know, everyone was like, oh, this, the strongest kind of dual master's program is to do have an MBA mm-hmm. in our history. And mm-hmm. now I think it's code. <laughs> like, yeah, computer- totally. <laughs> the number stuff. of YouTube videos and tutorials that I've watched <laughs> and on free online courses that I've taken just to kind of be a little more like technology savvy and also to, to keep up with my artist. <laughs> they're really like describing a kind of like process or certain kinds of coding that they're doing. And I really want to make sure that I'm kind of honoring their their practice. But yeah, they're hours probably of YouTube tutorials. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to figure out how to capitalize off one of those. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so what excites you about digital art right now? I think some of the most exciting things that I'm seeing about digital art 
are the way artists are engaging with the public and viewers. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the art has become interactive or requires viewer participation in some way. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really great that digital art feels synonymous with accessibility because of the many different ways you can engage with it, either digital or IRL. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also just with digital art, the possibilities feel endless in the sense that you have the ability to create different iterations of it. So you have the flexibility to show it in more spaces. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like deal with the same headaches with like shipping or (laughs) insurance. No, definitely. (laughs) When it's a digital file. The registrar in you is speaking now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you never lose that registrar sense. (laughs) (laughs) So what exhibitions, what digital art exhibitions have you seen lately that you really enjoyed or even that blew you away? I really loved Rafiq Anadol's show at Art House Tech Mm -hmm. here in New York. And maybe this was a few months ago now or longer, but he also did the show at Koenig Gallery in Berlin Mm. where... It was the first like large scale installation that also was like an NFT and tracked on the blockchain. And I just think he is so at the forefront of like what all these technologies can do and how to merge them together. And I thought that was really amazing and exciting. And I'm just, I can't wait to see where he's going. What year was the Koenig show? Yeah, the Art House Tech was a few years ago. It was right before COVID. Mm. And then the Koning Gallery show was after that, I think, maybe like a year ago. Very cool. So a year from now, what will be the future of digital art and what will that look like? I think a year from now, we're going to see so many shows in the metaverse. And I think not in the metaverses that we are familiar with now, like Decentraland or sandbox. Mm -hmm. I think that there's going to be more high fidelity virtual environments that artists and brands and galleries are going to gravitate towards. For instance, like Krista Kim, she started this metaverse called Zero, which is supposed to be like very high res and high fidelity. So that launches in the fall of this year. And I'm really excited to see that and like what that looks like. And I think that there's going to be a mix of like virtual and in-person events and there's going to be more of a dialogue between them. And I think that will be a really interesting space to sit in so that people can see things in person together, but they can also experience it remotely and feel like they are part of it. I'm personally really excited about the possibilities in the metaverse because you don't have the same limitations of reality, like gravity or scale mm-hmm. or weight. And so I think... Uh, it's like this it's infinite, gonna, infinite space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's new territory. So I think also when the tech gets better and there's just more metaverses that are connected to like Oculus and Quest and VR and AR. And I think it's just a really exciting time to see. And I think in a year, like all of those like realities are going to come together in unique and interesting ways that we can't even begin to imagine right now. No, definitely. So a slight aside, you 
curated an exhibition called Retouch. Could you describe a little bit about that exhibition, the panel that accompanied it? That's actually how I was introduced to you and the artists that you work with and kind of the concept around it. Yeah, definitely. I'm so happy that you are familiar with it. It's definitely one of the most exciting projects that I've worked on independently and one that I'm very passionate about. All of Alan and I co-curated this NFT sale for Kadaf, the crypto and digital art fair, their first marketplace that launched on the Tezos blockchain. Mm -hmm. And we started conceiving of the show right when the Roe vs. Wade Supreme Court documents were leaked. Mm. And Olive and I were actually, we were already having like really interesting conversations about like the metaverse and who is it for? And will it just be, you know, filled with greedy corporations that are trying to sell us stuff we don't even want? Oh, sure. Just like our everyday life. <laughs> totally. You know, yeah. we're constantly bombarded on, you know, social media and like walking down the street and billboards and the TV. It's just this constant barrage of like, what do you want? And you need this. And so we were already kind of talking about like that aspect but, you know, we also just, when those documents were leaked, we felt really strongly that we wanted to say, have a timely message about it because there's so many conversations happening about people's bodies, mm-hmm. not just women's body and the right to choose, but BIPOC communities, LBGQTS, like we're all like talking about who has control or authority over the decisions we make in everyday mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. whether that is our body or whether it's what we consume or what we watch. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to create a show where we had all types of people participating in it that were giving a social critique on their reality or their bodies. So some of the artists in our show, for instance, like Emma Stern, She's this amazing painter, works with Half Gallery, among others. And it's her first NFT. And it's of like her body morphing into different shapes where, you know, she looks like a troll. And then she, you know, has like her body proportions change and evolve and it kind of loops. And I really love that piece because it also just speaks to like how we feel every day. Like we wake up and some days we're like happy and strong and confident. Mm -hmm. And other days, you know, we're like down and depressed. Mm -hmm. And I think the point of the show was to encapsulate all of those feelings and also just think about the future in real life and the metaverse. Mm -hmm. How will it look different than today? We don't want just this infinite loop where the same people are constantly disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. We really want the metaverse to be in our reality, not just the metaverse. Mm -hmm. Um, We want all of our realities to be inclusive and equal. And how do we get there? The show is very much a question about that. And it's a question to everyone because it's everyone's responsibility to make a difference and help change the future and transform it. Totally. Yeah. That show, when I saw it, it felt very timely every aspect of it, even the artist, I, well, A, had not heard of probably half of them. And the concept was just super interesting. So yeah, you could feel it as soon as you saw it, like, oh, this feels like of the moment. And, you know, sometimes I guess to your point of kind of like where we are with the metaverse in particular, kind of like with Centraland and other there, oddly, as quickly as things move, there does sometimes tend to be like a staleness and that can even trickle over into like the digital art space or the NFT space. So when I did see the exhibition, I was like, okay, 
I should probably reach out to her. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you so much. That, that means so much to hear. And we've gotten a really, yeah, it's been nice. We've gotten really good, like critical feedback about it. And also in the show, we felt like it was important to have artists like on all sides, like from, you know, like Anne Spalter, who's like mm-hmm. an OG at the digital oh, art. Field. Absolutely. Like it was, yeah. It was so amazing. That <laughs> was really her. exciting seeing her name there too. <laughs> And then, you know, also like Stacey Ant, who's like more emerging and like Mm -hmm. working out of, uh, now she's in Vancouver, but was Berlin, but like only been in a few shows, Mm. but she's definitely like about to have a moment. She has work up at Vellum Gallery in LA. And then also, you know, we really wanted to work with all different artists, like not just digital. So you have like Canyon Castador, who's mainly a painter Mm -hmm. and also like Emma who, you know, her process is to work in 3D but then she actualizes it on painting using mm-hmm. like traditional oil technique methods. Yeah. So we, it was important to have artists like in every stage of their career and also working in different mediums as well. Yeah, for sure. So what are the top three pieces of advice you have for artists who are just getting started with digital art? Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> this is tricky. Um, the three pieces of advice I have. Okay. Well, one I think is to see as many shows as possible mm-hmm. and like go to the openings and Great meet. Great advice. <laughs> yeah. And meet the artists, meet the gallerists, like introduce yourself. I think the more shows you see, the more ideas you have. And also like the more people you meet, the more they're going to like think of you and remember you. And like, you never know who you're meeting or connecting with. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many things that have happened out of just like spontaneous meetups mm-hmm. at like an opening or something. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely go and see everything and like, don't be a wallflower. Like just say hi and meet people, especially if the show resonates with your like practice or concept, you know, it's a great way to flush it out and, you know, never know how it, it informs your own practice. Two, I think like you had mentioned looking at tutorials online, I know a good amount of artists that are self-taught themselves like code or different programs like Unreal or Cinema 4D. And I think it like feels daunting, but I think you pick on it pretty quick. And if that's the route you want to go, like then that's the route you should go. Mm -hmm. Um, So not to feel like... I don't know, nervous or like that you won't be able to learn something. Intimidated, yeah. Yeah, not to be intimidated. (laughs) And then the third thing is, you know, I think social media is a huge factor today Mm -hmm. in the art world and the art market. And I kind of hate that it is this way. (laughs) We can talk about that. It's okay. (laughs) This is a safe space. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, because... Look, even like to get on NFT platforms like Nifty Gateway or mm-hmm. Super Rare, like they're going to look at your profile and see like how many social media followers you have, mm-hmm. you know, or Twitter. And like I have like 150 Twitter followers. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, <laughs> there. but I do think like there is this idea of like having this digital version of yourself. And it's something mm-hmm. like you should just think about as an artist, like, okay, what digital persona do I want to have? And like, how can I like activate it and use it? Because I also know several artists whose like work have sold from Instagram or they got connected for like magazine reviews Mm -hmm. or, you know, other shows just Mm -hmm. from their work online. So 
even if it's maybe not like having like 10 million Instagram mm-hmm. followers or whatever, but just making sure like your website is up to date, that you have good photos of your work, mm-hmm. good concept. And, you know, I think like use your friends and our sick community to critique how you're talking about your work and how it looks. Because I think just visually in the digital space, that's all really important now. Yeah. To your point, you've mentioned accessibility a lot, which I absolutely love. To that point, kind of like what you were mentioning about social media and how it's advisable for artists to kind of have an up-to-date or current website or some kind of a digital or online identity. How do you recommend artists who really have no online presence or have a website but don't really know how to either for how to build it on their own or know other people who can help them build it what advice do you have for them yeah no i just recently was talking to an artist about this because we were just saying we were kind of commiserating with mm-hmm. each other for the fact that like okay you have a day job and then like at night if you're an artist, you're making work mm-hmm. or like me, you're like working on a show that you want to curate mm-hmm, or like mm-hmm. writing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like, and then what time do you have to have an online presence mm-hmm. and to like generate content and update it? I mean, it's just like you have to post like all the time. It's its own time. job. It's its own yeah. job. <laughs> it's its own job. And also like now you have Discord and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's been Twitter, but like, yeah, there's just so many different platforms that you have to be on. And I'm still trying to juggle this myself. And I think like for me, I now block off time in my like calendar for like social media updates. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's, that's a great idea. <laughs> If it's not in my calendar, I don't think I'll get to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, website, I like personally I looked into Squarespace. And I think just starting off small, like I think meaningful and quality over quantity mm-hmm. is definitely the way to go. And I think like for me, when I see something that really catches my eye, I kind of star it on my Google page. So I know to come back to it and mm-hmm. like, okay, what exactly do I like? Is it the format? Mm-hmm. Is it the way the content has been organized mm-hmm. or talked about? So I would say just start by looking at what catches your eye. Like what do you think works mm-hmm. and like what doesn't work? And then to try to dedicate time whenever you can on taking tutorials. And I think just starting small to have something and and kind of biting off a little at a time. Amazing. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have today. But before we wrap up, if people want to find you, where should they go? You can find me on Twitter at Raina Miller, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm much more active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And my handle is la underscore Raina, which is spelled R-A-I-N-A. A-A-A-A. There's five A's at the end. You have a great Instagram, by the way. It's like very fabulous. Thank you. I've been taking a little summer August break from it because I think y'all need to disconnect from the digital world as well and take breaks. Um, And then I'm also on LinkedIn. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, Thank you again. And we really look forward to seeing your future projects and what you do next. So let's stay in touch. Definitely. Thank you so much. It's been so fun to talk to you. Thanks for listening to the Future of Digital Art podcast brought to you by Saatchi Art. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a rating or review. 
If you'd like to find out more about Saatchi Art's first ever art NFT collection, The Other Avatars, or to engage with Saatchi Art as an artist, please visit www.saatchiart.com forward slash NFT. Thanks, and I'll catch you again on the next episode.